just want to say uh, another welcome to everyone. Um, I caught a few of you on the front end when we had the blessing, but it's great to to be here and share in this time with you on the second Wednesday of the month. Wasn't it providential that when when the the, the guys planning this got together? Uh, everybody said, you know, that's awfully close to New Year's. We really ought to move that to the second Monday in January. And I mean, wasn't that, wasn't that perfect for that? So the Lord was looking out for us uh, to have it today. Um, but anyway, again, thank you for being here. And uh, Connie, thank you for uh, uh, meatloaf. I mean, what else can you say? That, 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 that's about as good as it gets. So, um, and Florence, thank you for being here to handle sound. Glad you're back safely. Um, so I'm going to ask Don McLaurin now to come up and introduce uh, Fred, who's our speaker. Thank you. And uh, in, in the spirit of this group, of course, we're totally honest with each other. Uh, let me be honest and say that I'm not sure whether to blame this on Fred or Hank, but I found out about five minutes ago that I was doing this. So what I promised Fred was that whatever I said would be a lot more interesting than his real life. Uh, and, and so, but Fred, Fred and I, our paths crossed for the first time, uh, I don't know, three or four years ago, Fred, and uh, have gotten to know Fred, and, and he is a great Christian guy. Fred is, uh, uh, probably don't want me to say this either, but he's a native of Massachusetts, but he's been in uh, Charleston a long time. He's a graduate of the Citadel, and <clears throat> um, went on to become a, a naval aviator and flew Harriers. I just found that out today. Uh, and, and then came back to Charleston and is now COO of uh, Jupiter Holdings. Fred's a, a really good businessman, uh, and he's a guy that uh, has a, a deep faith. He applies his faith in all of his life. Uh, uh, even though we've known each other just a few years, I do know that about Fred, that he, he thinks, uh, I would say, constantly about how his faith and his business, uh, his family, and every walk of life is is influenced by and guided by uh, what what he believes, and and he thinks a lot about where his beliefs come from and and what they're based upon. So I'm I'm sure it's going to be an interesting time hearing from Fred and uh, about his walk and and how he's gotten to where he is. So without further ado, Fred, if um you'll come forward and tell us your story. Thank you, Don. And thank you, Hank, too, as well, for preparing me for today. I know many of you from other walks in the community, Citadel, prayer breakfast, uh, banking relationships, and, and uh, other clubs and organizations, and you've read my bio and know a little bit about who I am. I was, I teasingly say, I was raised in the Southeast, and my daddy taught me to hate Yankees. <laughs> Southeast New England, pinstripe Bronx Yankees that we all hate. The, the stinking New York Yankees. Um, and so, you know, I came down to the Citadel in 1976 at the age of 18 had never lived outside of my hometown of Taunton, Massachusetts. Of course, well, where's that? Well, Eric DeMora, who is the administrator for the town of Mount Pleasant, is a Taunton native. But he went to Clemson, played baseball, and you know, his, he's been back, I think, 
um, a few times, but um, I'm a New Englander, so you, you, can, you can tell that I don't speak like a lot of you, but I have fell in love with the South. I say I was converted to Southernism in August of 76 when I came. There's something that I really admired about the South, um, primarily honor, what I call honor, and that's not a code word uh, for despicable things. Honor, to me, or I've accepted the definition of honor being an enigmatic mixture of conscience and ego. Enigmatic mixture of conscience and ego is what honor is. So it's what we think of ourselves, right? This awareness of who we are, our reputation, our ego, in Freud terms, and then um, conscience, you know, knocking, something bothering us. So where does it come from? And for me, I'm a believer in the truth of Scripture, that book, as we in our fallen nature can understand it, translated from the original language, passed down for thousand, now 2,000 years or so of, of, of trying to be faithful to it. What do those words say as far as we know? How is it that we even know that they're God's word? Well, that comes from the Holy Spirit, knocking the, the scales from our eyes so that we can see the truth. And it is nuttery to those who do not believe. It is folly to those who aren't believers. Paul said that. Christ even said that. It's so true. Now, the guidance I was given was to tell you a little bit about how I came to Christ. I was raised a Roman Catholic in Massachusetts. That's not unusual. Surrounded by them. My dad died when I was six of a heart attack. He was about 35 years old. My mother raised the rest of the five of, five of us um, and got married again when I was 12. So essentially, I was without a father, um, but my second father was a good man. And, um, but neither of them were believers. She left the church when, I, when about the time my father died, blamed the Catholic church, Roman Catholic Church, not the Church Universal, which is Catholic, uh, for having five children, you know, and leaving her with, all, you know, sort of not a bitter woman, but angry at God for that. So she's, she's still not a believer, even though I talk to her every Sunday and tell her what the message was and how it applies to life. And um, she's a spiritualist, you know, reads where the where Mars is in relationship to Jupiter and that kind of stuff, right? So, um, but for me, uh, when I went to college, I decided that being faithful to God was an important part of being at the Citadel. It was, too. It was a new dimension of life that was, made me a whole, more of a whole person, so I would attend. Um, and then was confirmed as a Catholic, but went off into the Marine Corps when I was commissioned in 1980, and I would attend, continue to attend church, but it wasn't, it wasn't with the Holy Spirit moving me. I was married in 1982 to um, a lady from Beaufort, South Carolina, no relation to the Marine Corps or being stationed there. We adopted a boy in 1995 through Bethany Christian Services in Myrtle Beach, and they required us to be baptized believers and not Roman Catholics, if you know what I mean. So I had to go um, become baptized, fully immersed um, in, in a bath of water and become a Christian. And it was through this process and the adoption process that, I, I'm not kidding you, I saw the hand of God in that process, where God 
I won't go into it because it'll take too long, where God said to me, you, this, I am real. I am here, and I am having an impact on this adoption. It, it ended up being successful, and I, just, I changed as a person. It was like a rock being thrown into the ocean, right? And it rolls back again, and it's a little bit uh, smaller because it's been through tumbling in the sand and the surf, and it gets thrown again into the ocean and back and, back and forth until all of a sudden the scales are gone, right? And you see differently what it means to be a believer and how overwhelming, really, it is to be a believer. If this is a God that created the universe, who sent his son to take on humanity, to die on a cross as a sin sacrifice, right, the propitiation for us, even into the time immemorial, forever, then this is stuff we ought to be very serious about. And if we call ourselves Christians, we need to understand it. And the deeper we understand it, the better off we're going to be because we're going to see error, which we see too much of, especially around this state. Error in preaching of what the immutable truth of Scripture is and where we can get strayed by listening to the world as opposed to listening to what Scripture teaches us. And I think about Martin Luther and the traumatic stand he made in the 1500s, full of other problems that Martin Luther was in his life, no doubt. But how in that moment and in that time, he was used by God to make an incredibly dramatic and important change for the kingdom of God. And this is what we should be doing. We should be preparing us for those moments. And it may be, like in readiness in the Marine Corps, you never fight, right? You keep training and you keep training and the fight never comes. But then it might. And that's what it is for you and me, is to be trained so that when the moment comes, we're making the right decisions. It, it isn't coming by second nature because our nature has fallen, in evil almost, but it's coming because of this instruction that we've gotten, which affects our conscience and affects us forever. So how the guidance was, how did, how did this, from my talk today was, how did this change me? And it is, I, I became thirsty for knowledge of, of what Christian faith was. And what I found was that the Christian faith is complex, as C.S. Lewis writes. This is not simple stuff. Oh, well, Jesus died on the cross, he rose again, and then, you know, it's in the Apostles' Creed, that's great, right? I got it, I got it, there's no problem. Yes, there is. It's, it's a lot deeper than that. Lewis says that if, if this were man-made, it would not be as complex as it is. To him, it was evidence that God Almighty is who put this very complex salvation theory together, right? So you, we've got to stay in the Word. We've got to read. We've got to go to Sunday school, I, I would argue. You've got to read Christian apologetics, and you've got to be in groups like this to hear people speak and to challenge us. And we don't get it right a lot of the time. We get it quite wrong, particularly with regard to things that we tolerate in our community. Suffering that we don't ameliorate. Poverty that we don't get involved to do to turn people, and I don't mean giving them a dollar. That's maybe the worst thing you can do for somebody but to invite them to get them a job or to get them help or to get them into crisis ministries or 180 place or get them plugged in, get them to church, right? And churches 
are where we should be administering the gospel in our community. It is our responsibility in our churches. It is not the government's responsibility to be doing it. That's the, what I would call the cold arm and the cold hand of government. We should never expect anyone in Columbia or Washington, D.C. to give a wit about any of us, even those who they believe are suffering. It is for us in the local community to do it. That's part of why I, I'm an exchange. I, I'm, I'm a big believer in exchange clubs. And what does it mean? It means that we are supposed to come out of our homes and get into our communities, know our neighbors, love our neighbors, and not only that, love our enemies. Even the tax collectors love their friends. What's the big deal about that, Christ said? So love your enemies, which to me is the acid test of Scripture. You think you're a believer? Start loving your enemies. That's a test, and I'm a failure at it. I can tell you that now. Maybe it's God wanted it to be so dang hard that it's nearly impossible without him to love your enemies, which is to wish his better, in Lewis's words. <clears throat> now, so, what do we, so where do we go? Well, we go, we do this. Right? We stay in this, and we stay involved in groups like this, and we get involved with more groups like this. I would recommend to you that when an opportunity comes for you to, to talk about your faith, you do it with boldness, with love, though, too, as well. The, the street preacher screaming at the woman in the miniskirt on the side of the road, I don't believe, is advancing the kingdom of God. He may be pointing out sin, perhaps, but that, I don't believe, is how Christ would have handled it. And if Christ wouldn't have handled it that way, then maybe we should do it more like he would have done it, or maybe continues to do it. <clears throat> I don't want to miss some things I wanted to say, so I'm going to be referring a couple of times here to my notes. Uh, my son, whom we adopted in 95, is now 22. He was baptized when he was small, like 13 years old. He wanted to do it at East Cooper Baptist Church, did the full immersion, but I don't think he's saved, personally. And I've told him that. Um, we're all sinners. All of us fall short. Am I out of time? Is that... Is that... Um, but the bell's like, hey, get off the stage, Whittle. Yeah. Because, you know, Joe Hill, my friend Joe Hill, knows how intolerable I can become. Um, Alistair Begg, whom I list, used to listen to, used to be on local radio, now is not, but uh, unless he's on a different channel, um, said that, that our Christian faith is not about clean living, good feeling, being fed spiritually, right? Going to church, hey, I, know I must be fed spiritually. You know, and that pastor, if he's not giving me stuff that's feeding me spiritually, I'm going somewhere else. Um, Lewis attended his local church in his little village, wherever that was. You know, he was an Oxford professor. He was at Cambridge as well. But he, wherever that little home was, that's where he went to church. Even though the big, high, and mighty cathedrals were nearby, he wouldn't go there. And he was asked, why do you go to this little dorky church when you could be really with the great, you know, believers. And he said, I go to church where I live, in my community. I want to be a part of it. So he, in a way, humbled himself. This is the great C.S. Lewis, right? World-renowned as an apologetic writer. Had nothing to say, by the way, that anyone would read before he became a believer. 
Once he became a believer, it was like the floodgates opening of his mind and writing, too, as well. So Begg, Alistair Begg, says this is not about that. It's about a personal, deep, changing response to the Holy Spirit. It's about our heart changing. And if you say, well, I'm a cradle Anglican or cradle Methodist or Lutheran, I've never known a day that I didn't believe Jesus Christ was my Lord and Savior. And so I think Christ would say, really? You must be born again. There must be a change in your heart. This is a heart issue. Christ came, yes, to fulfill the, gospel, the, the scriptures. He was sent by God Almighty, the Father, to die on the cross for us, fulfilled, right? The, the whole law and the prophets were fulfilled through this. It all pointed to Christ anyway. All of scripture, all of the Old Testament points to him. But he also came, I think, to change our hearts, primarily. And Chesterton writes that, if, or Solzhenitsyn said this, if you want to find evil, th give this answer to someone who says, hey, Whittle, or hey, Jones, um, if there is a good God, then why does he allow babies to die when they're one and evil to exist in the world? You can say, th you can say this, well, I believe that if God wiped out all evil in the world, there'd be nobody around. Because Solzhenitsyn said that if you want to find evil, it runs like a line through every human heart. And Solzhenitsyn was the man who suffered under the gulag system in the Soviet Union, Stalin's gulag, where he could see in the, in the men who suffered in the Hanoi prisoners of war camps in the, in the Vietnam War, or anyone else that's been held against their will for no just reason, that has been tortured and suffered, sees what evil is, and it's got a human face. And Christ came and talked, I think, the most important lessons to us before his final act of submission and obedience to God's will to be crucified on the cross was to talk about the heart. What are we doing with our wealth, not are we wealthy? What are we doing with our talents for singing or writing or playing or whatever it is that we've been given a talent to do? Not that we have too much talent. What are we doing with those things is the important question. And it's about answering the Holy Spirit's call and serving God. So what you are doing, you're doing to the glory of God. I saw that right on your, your walkway, right before you came in that gate down there. The building was built to the glory of God. If you look at Bach's um, writing, you know, his music, to the glory of God is there. That's so if you're thinking about what am I doing today and is it to God's, God's glory, maybe that's a good question to be asking all the time. And, and we're not wearing a Christian mantle. Well, I'm a Christian, see? Because to me, that's the fire insurance thing. I, yeah, I'm a Christian, I've got my fire insurance. I know that even if I'm a sinner, I'm going to heaven because I'm a believer. This is, this is not it. So we pray for, we love our enemies, as I mentioned already. Patience, humility, slow to anger, very important fruits of the Spirit for us. And if you are prone to use curse words, <clears throat> that's one thing that changed with me when I became a believer. I was convicted about what words I was using. Not because so much that I didn't want my 
witness to be corrupted, but because it just it, it caused offense almost within me. So I'm not saying I never, ever, ever use curse words, but when I do, I immediate, it immediately hits me. And it's so much rarer that I do, even at heated moments. And that, to me, is a, a great witness for non-believers, is what you are doing when the pressure's on and when things are bad, when you've lost your dog, you know, run over by a car. <clears throat> we are lowered, we are humbled to feel the need for God. And if we are not feeling the need for God, get back into prayer to feel that need. As talented as all of you are with the gifts and education and things you've been given or the hard work you have put into your good education. I think about, and how much time do I have? A minute, probably. I think about evil, not too much, but enough, um, because I think it's something we all face daily. When I say the Lord's Prayer, I say deliver us from the evil one. Not deliver us from evil, but deliver us from the evil one. I also say when I say the Lord's Prayer, and my people in my church can't stand when I do it, because I say it loud enough, is thy will be done in heaven as it is on earth. Excuse me. Thy will be done on earth, had that backwards, as it is in heaven. In other words, not thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, but thy will be done on earth, because we know it's already done in heaven. So it should be done here that thy will be done here with us now and in my life here. But when I think about evil and how, well, you know, God, if it was a good God, why would he allow evil? Well, because evil brings out good. We wouldn't have Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his wonderful example of Christian faith if it hadn't been for Hitler and Nazism, for example. We wouldn't have Solzhenitsyn's wonderful example without Stalin and that system. We wouldn't have Martin Luther King's one, Jr.'s wonderful example of the sinner as he was, as all of us are. If you read um, Bearing the Cross, the story of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, which was what he was all about, people forget that today. The man was a pastor, Southern Baptist. His organization was a Christian-based permeated all of his messages was Christ and, and being a believer. But we wouldn't have had, if without Jim Crow, without this system of, of oppression, we wouldn't have had someone like a Martin Luther King rise up and, 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 and make good change. Suffering brings sanctification. So when we are suffering, we should welcome it from the standpoint of being willing to be used to be purified and it comes from suffering. Good stuff happening doesn't bring a lot of purification, in my mind. It is the refining fire that purifies the gold and the metal and the whatever you're making, and it is the same in our faith. Now, at a minimum, if you're a thinking man, at a minimum, if you've studied anything, you can't believe there's no God. In a sense, you can't believe there's no intelligent design. Now, if you do, then you, are, you, are, you have more faith in science than I have as a believer in Christ and in God Almighty as the designer. Intelligent design theory teaches us that. You can't look at DNA, in my, my opinion, and not see the fingerprint of God himself. 
You can't explain that away with time plus chance plus the impersonal. You can't do it. So at a minimum, uh, agnosticism or this atheism is nutty because it ignores overwhelming evidence that there's something that made this. And it is insufficient to me not to have something that you ground yourself in belief that that's how it came about. And to me, there's no finer solution than what the Holy Bible tells us is the truth. In, again, the language of the time, the culture of the time, the translations that have come since, it's there. And when the Hubble telescope discovered billions upon billions upon maybe trillions of stars, then scripture's talking about the sands that, that, the, that, that the stars were more numerous, the heavenly bodies, than the grains of sand on the, ocean, on, the, on the beaches of the world. It's actually true. But it was scoffed at as an example of how to reject scripture, that it couldn't be true, because look, it has this stupid thing about the, sands of, you know, the grains of sand on the beach. But what we, the more we discover of science, the more, I believe, that it points to God Almighty and the Creator. I struggle with the same things most men struggle with, and I have a refuge in Christ, I have a refuge in prayer, I have a refuge in Friday morning breakfast with my men at St. James, I have a refuge in Sunday when I go into Sunday school and church to be among my brothers and sisters, my real brothers and sisters, that, which are my brothers and sisters in Christ. And that is, that's a wonderful refuge. And if, and I'll end with this, if ever asked in a moment of broad audience, maybe, recorded for the television, why I'm a believer, I hope I have the presence of mind to say that two important things. One is that the, I'm a believer because Scripture provides me a lamp guide to my feet where I can walk. My pathways are guided by scripture and guided by the word of God. And second, that I exist without fear of ultimate punishment for my sins because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. That is incredibly powerful. I would argue that it defies understanding. Right? This peace that passes all understanding, I think it means don't even try to understand it because you can't. You have to accept it, that it is true, and almost embrace it and feel warm about it. And I am so thankful that men and women prayed for me at times in my life when I was not a believer, that I had a sister-in-law who was a strong believer through hardship, remained faithful to what the Bible taught and teaches, and it is men and women like that that have enabled me finally to become, I hope, someone who is a disciple of Jesus Christ. And thank you for the invitation. I hope I haven't run over time. God bless. Fred, thank you so much. That was wonderful. Um, I, when I, I arrived here, as you all know, about a year and a half ago, and Hank began to describe this gathering, and I said, you know, Hank, what, what's it about? And he said, it's just about real guys um, 
coming up and sharing what God has done in their life. And today's an example of that. Thanks be to God. Re real guys, real brothers, real men um, sharing their faith. And it's just such an encouragement to hear what God is doing in each, um, each, each of these lives that we get to hear about month by month. I uh, want to thank you all for coming out and for being here. Again, thank you, Fred, and thank you to Connie and uh, to Florence and to Ben and everyone who made this, this lunch possible. Um, why don't we be up standing in prayer and let's, uh, let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of this time that we have together. Uh, for the gift and, and privilege of fellowship, of brotherhood that's made possible um, through your Son, Jesus Christ. And Father, we ask that you would renew in each and every one of us the gift of your Holy Spirit, that we might be the husbands, the fathers, the men that you have called us to be. Um, Lord, that as we go back out our, to our separate ways, to our homes, to, to our places of work, Lord, that you would use us in some small way um, to be a light that, that brings others to you, um, that we might in some way bring your presence, uh, your peace that indeed passes understanding um, out into our community and so bless the world in your name. Father, I ask all these things expectantly for we ask them in the precious and powerful name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Go in peace. <laughs>